to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. My name is Eileen Prack and our guest today is Alina Trigum. Alina is the founder and managing partner of Samoa Financial, a boutique private equity firm specializing in helping business owners and IT professionals passively invest in commercial real estate. She's also the founder of two meetup groups named The Power of Passive Investing Through Real Estate in New York and New Jersey. She invests primarily in the Southeast and has helped her clients to acquire and invest in over 2,200 apartment doors, over $45 million fund focused on self-storage, and over $10 million of funds focused on mobile home parks. So very excited to have you on the show today, Lena. Welcome. Thank you, Alina. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited for this interview. Thank you. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and if you can share you know, how you got started in real estate, I would love that. Absolutely. So hello, everyone. My name is Alina Trigo. Uh, my journey had started almost 30 years ago when my mom and I immigrated to the United States from former Soviet Union. Um, I, at the time, didn't have any degrees and was going to pursue something. And my mom had a degree uh, from Soviet Union, but she decided that she wanted to have one in the United States. So we both started uh, our journey in two different colleges. And uh, to support ourselves, we had to work a bunch of odd jobs, smaller jobs from babysitting to house sitting to house cleaning and so forth. So while doing all of that and going for my degree, I was thinking like what I'm going to do after I get my degree in accounting because I, I was good with numbers, but I never really liked accounting. And so I turned out that uh, when I was graduating, I had an interview with uh, Ernst & Young and I got a job. I started working as a tax accountant and still uh, didn't feel like this was something that I wanted to pursue. So I've tried private world as well, uh, but that didn't work out either in the sense that I didn't really like what I was doing. So I decided to switch careers completely and uh, found myself working in a technology firm testing accounting application. So that turned out to be a good start to a 20 years of successful IT career where I've done uh, many different things, but mainly the roles have evolved around being the liaison between the worlds of business and technology. While I was able to understand both worlds, I helped them to connect and really communicate with each other. So that's uh, been a journey. And while I was growing in my career, and so was my husband, um, I noticed that our tax brackets kept growing as well. And um, I wanted to find a way to lower taxes, so not necessarily the tax brackets itself, but taxes uh, in general. Being a former tax accountant, I kept thinking about that all the time. And so real estate kept coming up a lot of times. And I finally decided to take action about eight years ago. I have done research, looked around and realized that uh, I should start investing out of state because I couldn't find anything locally in New Jersey areas just too expensive for my taste. And I became an equity partner in syndications. And after I invested in one, there was the snowball effect where this, there was the second one and third one and so forth. And after doing that for a number of years, 
and realizing tremendous benefits, not only that residual income, but also the tax savings that were coming uh, along with that. And talking to my co-workers and friends, uh, I also realized that not many people have heard about syndications and uh, would be interested in investing themselves. So I wanted to help other people uh, follow my footsteps and I decided to start my own company. And that's how Samo Financial was born with that sole purpose of helping other people educate themselves and start their journey on building wealth passively by diversifying their portfolios into the world of alternative investments where real estate has been prevailing for many years. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing your background. And so as you were coming across the multifamily and um, educating people on real estate, what are some of the reasons why you think that people don't really know about real estate or haven't really heard about it and all the, um, you know, the tax benefits and everything like that, that you hear about with real estate? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a, a great question. I mean, I think uh, most people are familiar with the typical real estate that involves uh, buying and flipping a home or buying a single family house and placing tenants or potentially investing through REITs. And people think that that's real estate investing. And what they don't realize that um, buying a single family home and placing tenants is, is work. It's like starting a business and that takes time. And it's not for everyone. Some folks have more time and they may be able to do it, but some people have less time and they don't have the bandwidth or the skill set to potentially do it. And when it comes to REITs, um, REITs provide a decent return from a Wall Street standpoint. However, REITs are very similar to mutual funds. So whatever income you're earning on REITs is essentially taxed at the same rate as your W-2 income, where when you're investing passively in syndications, there is no such thing as uh, being taxed as ordinary income. First, you get the exposure to uh, losses uh, achieved through depreciation for a number of years. And then um, when the project is finally sold and it's sold at the gain, the gain can at the maximum be taxed uh, up to 20%, which is, again, uh, lower than many people's tax brackets. That makes sense. And, you know, um, I'm glad that we have you on the show today because, you know, we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about reviewing a syndication deal as a passive investor. And, you know, some of the things that we should be looking for as a passive investor when you get this um, operating memorandum coming into your inbox. Sometimes you're looking at it and, you know, if this is the first time that you're looking at it, you don't really know what are some of the things that I should be looking for? Some of the financials on the numbers, they have things like, you know, cash on cash, the IRR. Um, so if you can kind of give a top overview, basically from the, um, when to get the operating memorandum, what are some of the things that we should be looking for as um, from a passive investor standpoint? Sure, that's that's a great uh, question. And that's how I, I started my journey as a passive investor. So I would say before we even get into offering memorandum, I suggestion to folks to educate themselves on how syndication as a business works. And and there are plenty of books to read. Um, I typically recommend starting with uh, the books written. um, The name had slipped my mind, but when I remember it, I'll let you know. So there are quite a few good books 
written about syndication as a business. So you need to understand how that business works and operates. And why is that? Because the first step when reviewing a deal is understanding who is the team behind this particular project, who is in charge of that team, uh, what kind of strategy is the operator implementing, what kind of track record do they have, and have they implemented the strategy before on their prior project. When you've gone through the questions and the operator had answered your questions, the next step would be to review the market where the property is at to make sure that it meets the minimum fundamentals criteria. And that includes looking at what is the supply and demand in a particular market. And if we're talking about apartments, um, is there enough demand in the area to satisfy that with this particular building? Will we be able to keep the vacancy Low. Will people want to live in the property that we're buying? Is it in the desired neighborhoods? How is the school system? What are the crimes? What is the access? Are we close to highway? Um, are we close to a shopping area? Are we close to major employers in the area? Um, all these are essential keys to look into and, and determine whether this particular investment satisfies uh, those criteria. And then looking at the offering memorandum, you always have to look at two things together, the quantitative and qualitative. And what I mean by that, obviously the first thing that people look at and that's typically presented in uh, more or less a one-pager about syndication is the numbers. What is the IRR? What's the cash on cash? What's the average annual return? And so forth. And while those numbers may look good, number one, they only tell a story when they're put together and as a whole. And number two, they have to be looked together with that quantitative analysis. You need to, uh, in qualitative analysis, you need to look at the fundamentals of the market and the strategy behind uh, this particular project and understand, can this project and this operator really support the strategy that's uh, detailed in this offering memorandum. Um, let's say it's a workforce housing and the rents are on the market and the operator is saying, we're going to raise the rents by 10%. Is it realistic? Are we in a state of a recession? If it's recession or if it's not a high demand season, um, what's presented in the underwriting be really implemented at this time. So look at it from that perspective. I understand what are the risks involved in a particular project and ask the operator, how are they trying to or planning to mitigate these risks if, if anything happens? And listen to the webinar. You know, If it's live, then ask questions during the webinar. If not, then schedule a follow-up. And ask them about the, their mitigation plan if and when something happens. Because believe it or not, something always happens. It could be small or it could be big. But uh, what you want to hear from the operator is that they have the plan in mind and if they haven't experienced anything like that, then they have a set of certain standard operating procedures that they will follow in order to mitigate and eliminate uh, the challenges and obstacles that they will see ahead of them while implementing the strategy. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. 
Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Alina. That really makes a lot of sense. And so as you're going through the sponsor and their plan to implement, and then the operating memorandums, you know, what are some of the red flags that you need to kind of be watching out for? And um, some of the mistakes that people make when looking to invest in an apartment? Um, One of the things when you look, for instance, at the underwriting presented in the offering memorandum, see the operator's plan to increase the rents from day one again depending on the economic situation and where we're at in general um it may or may not make sense for instance right now as we're going through the pandemic i wouldn't want to see underwriting that's increasing the rents from day one so certainly okay if the units have been renovated but if it's existing tenants and you, you're just uh, increasing the rent significantly on existing tenants, uh, this may not work for workforce housing. It, it can certainly work if you're in an A area and these are all uh, white-collar workers and most of them have not lost their jobs and they can potentially sustain that. But if you're in a workforce housing where some of the people either lost their jobs or uh, maybe working multiple jobs to support their families, uh, it's a lot harder to uh, sustain such drastic increases in rents. Another thing I would look at is um, how the expenses percentage is progressing. Is the operator saying that oh, they're going to take expenses drastically from 60% to 40% or is it gradual progression? And what does that progression entail? Um, are they potentially putting the bills back on the tenants and maybe implementing ROPs, the rate utility billing system, where the tenants uh, take charge of paying their water, electric, or gas bill, or whatnot? Or uh, is it something else? Or maybe they have their own property management company, and that's why they're able to drastically lower the uh, percentage that they're paying property management company it's fine but if it's not if it's a third party property management and uh, the charge used to be let's say seven percent but then you, you drop in it to four how are you able to achieve it are you offering are you buying a project that's large enough for 150 300 units where uh, property management will agree to such low percentage or is a pre-existing relationship or something else. So uh, again, don't just look at the numbers, always ask questions and understand where the operator is coming from by coming with specific numbers. And same applies to such thing as, for instance, IRR. IRR alone, whether it's as 15, 20 or whatever else, means nothing. So you always have to look at the IRR in conjunction with other numbers to make the story complete 
what is the operator doing? Are they uh, starting slow and maybe delaying paying benefits until year one is over? Or are they starting from the very beginning? Are they doing uh, maybe a capital event at year two or three or not? Are the renovations significant or not? All of these components will be impacting the numbers and uh, the numbers have to tell the story and that story has to be similar to this or identical rather to the story that's operators telling you. Thank you. And so is there anything else that a uh, new passive investor should be looking for? Um, definitely look uh, at other deals. So if the investor is new, uh, I would recommend the book that I was thinking about was David Lindell books. I, you know, the two books that he wrote are really good. One is on emerging markets. The other one is in general on, on multifamily. It's called multifamily millions. I think they give a pretty good understanding of how multifamily syndications work. And I highly encourage people to read those as well as the book written by Jean Trodbridge, who is a securities attorney, and it's called It's a Whole New World. Again, it details how syndication works. And uh, even if the investor is passive, they need to understand the business model behind the syndication. They need to understand what they're getting themselves into. And for that, I would always encourage them to look not just at one offering, but at multiple offerings, not necessarily to compare the numbers, but uh, to look at the strategy that the operator is implementing, look at the pros and cons and the risks involved. Again, it's always important to look at the risks involved for the particular projects and know your own limitations when it comes to risk and what level of risk you as an investor are comfortable with. And I would make the decision based on your comfort level, um, the risk level of the investment and the returns, not just by looking at the numbers, oh, this project is returning 20% IRR, I should invest in it. No, that, that should not be the driving decision-making factor. I would say the main decision-driving factor should be the operator's team. What are their track record? Is their strategy and their overall goals and objectives are aligned with your personal goals and objectives? Uh, and are you resonating with their strategy? And that should drive you to make the ultimate decision more than anything else. Thank you. And so other than the operating uh, memorandum, is there anything else that you can request from the different sponsors um, to be able to evaluate and to make a decision on your um, whether or not you're going to move forward with an investment? Um, I actually have a list of questions, suggested questions for investors that I can share with the audience if you'd like that they can ask operators and uh, not every operator may or may not have question answers to those questions. But in general, uh, when talking about their past track record, I would ask about their past projects. Look at the project they worked at. Um, and it could be from a perspective of understanding, have they worked at a similar project? So would this specific project would be just a cookie cutter for them or is it brand new is it the market that this operator knows really well and that's why buying this will not be a significant risk for us as an investor or is it brand new market if it's a brand new market why operator has decided to go into this market uh, do they have boots on the ground? Do they have people that they can rely on if they're not local in case something happens that these people can help them with their deal? Uh, so questions like that should definitely be asked. 
Thank you. And Alina, so now you've founded Semmel Financial and you're focused on, um, you know, really helping the passive investor educate themselves. Um, what's next for you and um, your company? We are actually thinking of building our own funds. So I think this, this year uh, will be the year where we start building funds and bringing investors a more diversified portfolio by offering um, funds that have not only multiple markets, but hopefully also multiple asset classes in them, such as the asset classes we already know really well and because we have invested in them in the past, such as multifamily, assisted living, or mobile home parks, and so forth. Thank you so much, Alina. And how has real estate investing really impacted your life so far? Uh, it's been huge. Ever since I dove into this and started investing, I realized that my biggest mistake was not starting it much, much sooner um, and not investing right after I graduated from college. I think uh, real estate investing is a great way not only to diversify portfolio and save on taxes, but it's also a great way to make an impact on the community, especially that shows when you're buying apartment complexes in, let's say, areas that are suitable for workforce housing. If the, the building is standing on its own, and you know that a lot of owners, for example, uh, have pets, and you decide to build a pet park in the area, well, you just uh, brought that tenants, those tenants, a step closer to building community because now they have a pet park. So a lot of them would be able to go into that pet park and maybe chit chat with another and make acquaintance. And that may also force them into deciding to um, stay longer at your property because it's not only for them, it's also beneficial for their pet. So steps like that, those little steps make a big difference. And, you know, for us, it's not only a matter of helping passive investors build their wealth, but for us, it's also important uh, to create a sense of community for our tenants in the properties we're buying and creating a community where they would want to live for many years ahead because they enjoy living there. And Alina, what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? The power of tremendous tax benefits uh, that are available in real estate uh, that are not available anywhere else. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? Um, I would say perseverance. You know, if someone stays in this business, no matter what obstacles are in their way and continues to move forward, then they will be successful. Uh, Real estate, just like any other business, has many obstacles and it's a matter of knowing why you're doing what you're doing and having that big why that will help you to progress through your career and move forward with your business and move through those challenges and obstacles. And without knowing your why, you will not have such perseverance. And what tools or techniques have you used to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life? Uh, believe it or not, a significant part of it has been shifting the mindset. So when I graduated from college and started my career, I didn't know that you know there was an option to become an entrepreneur and start my own business and do anything like that. Uh, to me, because I also was an immigrant, it was a given that once I graduated from school, I have to go get a W-2 job to pay the bills. 
But as I started reading about real estate, I also started reading mindset-related books. And it really opened up my eyes about the possibilities out there. So it's not only about uh, building a business. It's about how you build a business and who you surround yourself with to build that business. As Jim Rohn said, that you are a reflection of the five people around you. And of those five people are strong individuals, regardless whether they're successful career professionals or business owners, but they're strong individuals from whom you can learn and contribute and they can learn something from you, then you're on a right path to success. So for me, it's always been important to continuously learn. So I always try to surround myself with people that I can learn from and benefit them as well in any way I can. Absolutely. I would agree with that too. As long as you're continuing to learn, you know, you're continuing to grow and not only helping yourselves, but at the same time, you know, educating the people around you. And so just adding value in that way. Exactly. And so Lena, thank you so much for sharing everything today and then walking us through how to take a look at a syndication deal and things that passive investors should and should not be looking for um, when evaluating it. And if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and uh, what you do, where can they go? Thank you for having me, Eileen. They can find me on my company website, which is samofinancial.com. It's S-A-M-O financial.com. Or they can find me through social media. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and now on Clubhouse as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Eileen. I really appreciate everything that you shared today. Eileen, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.